Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. Let's pray together. So Lord, for those of us who are here and in Christ, there is much to celebrate. Death is defeated, sin has been paid for, and that means death and sin don't ever have the final word. And so Lord, as we look at your word today, for those of us here who are trusting in Jesus, Lord, would we in fresh ways trust you rejoice in you, celebrate all that you've done. And if there's any in here that don't yet know you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they look back on and say, Jesus came and he met me and he called me and I believed. So Lord, do that through your word, by the power of your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're here today and you're a human, uh, you've experienced fear and doubt. And I would just say that if you read any study out there right now, what you'll find is that we live in a world that's more full of fear and doubt than maybe ever before, at least our particular culture is. We live in this age that's kind of not sure what to do with itself. We've gone through the enlightenment, which taught us that we, we don't really need a divine explanation for anything, and so we, we did away with God because we could do his job just as well as he could. But now we live in kind of this postmodern moment where suddenly we've had to admit that we can't actually figure everything out. We, we couldn't find all the answers. We couldn't be God, but we didn't return to God as the source of hope comfort and worship. Instead, we now just make ourselves God, not by being able to figure out everything objectively, but by stating that whatever we subjectively feel in this moment is our truth, right? Not the truth, but our truth. And so with ourselves now at the center and our truth to be lived, think about what that creates, right? We don't have a God to go to anymore. We just have ourselves. And if you're honest with yourself, you change a lot. So whoever this God is, is, is always changing. And what that creates as we get together as people is this constant chaotic clashing of ideas about what is real and what is true. So that firm footing doesn't exist anymore. I don't have anywhere to just stand and say, this is what's true. This is how I can live and have confidence. And not only that, but headlines and algorithms are actually tailored and curated to create fear and doubt for the sake of making money. Right? Y'all will click more. I'll click more if it's a little angsty, <laughs> if it gets me a little riled up. And this is piled on top of normal stress and suffering and circumstances of life, on top of normal financial and family struggles, on top of diseases and death. But if we look at what's been happening in all of this, like, like what drives these questions? What drives these different movements? There's a few questions humans have and they're just struggling to answer with these different ways. Questions like, who am I? <laughs> Like, like, why am I here? Like, why are you sitting here right now today? What's the, the purpose of all this? What's life all about? What brings lasting fulfillment? Is this all there is? And so I just want to 
say as clearly as John says in this chapter what my goal for our time together today is. That you would believe in the midst of all that that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his name, life now and forever. So what that means is if you've already trusted in Jesus, I'm praying today you'd see him again and you'd believe afresh that fresh peace would flood into your fears, into your doubts. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, maybe you're here because there's a brunch afterwards, maybe you're here because you're in town visiting, and I just believe that you're here because God wants you here. And what I'm praying is that you would turn from yourself as God, you turn from running after peace in all these different places where it's not working, and you'd see Jesus, the, the true God, the Son of God, and that he would give you lasting, eternal peace for your soul's so let's dive in here. Point number one in this chapter is that Jesus is alive to bring peace to fear. And I want to make just a couple quick comments about verses 1 to 18 that lead up to this section. We read this and talked about it a little bit at our sunrise service, but I'm going to make a few comments for the other 470 of you that weren't there this morning at 6.40. So Mary Magdalene, right, she's this woman who had just lived a life of sin, but Jesus had restored her and forgiven her, and she's visiting the tomb in the dark of night, probably in the dark of night because she's afraid. Doesn't want to be associated with Jesus. Not a cool thing to be with Jesus at this point. So she's going in the dark, and she finds the stone moved, and she runs to tell some disciples. And one of the disciples was Peter. The other was likely John, who's writing this book. And they get there, and Peter goes in first. He's very bold, as always, and John waits, but he goes in later, and he sees the burial clothes lying there, folded up, and the text says that he saw, and he believed. So it's the first faith we have here. Something's clicking, right? Jesus had told them a bunch of times, if you read the Gospel of John, that he needed to die for sins, go to his Father, send the Holy Spirit after he had risen again, but they hadn't yet understood. But here, I think... John begins to understand, begins to understand. Jesus had died. He'd seen that with his own eyes, but he didn't stay dead. Like Daniel says so often, he got back up. He rose from the dead. Jesus died a criminal's death to pay for sin, but he rose again so that not only was sin paid for, but death itself was conquered. Can you imagine being there? We just take it so for granted. Can you imagine being there and being one of the first people to realize death isn't death anymore for those who trust in Christ. Death doesn't have the final word anymore for those who trust in Christ. He did what he said. He is who he is. And that's what's happening here with John. Mary doesn't quite get it yet. In verse 11, she's weeping outside the tomb, she doesn't recognize Jesus when he talks to her, but finally, when she recognizes him is when he does what? What does he do? He says her name. He says, Mary. She goes, I know who that is. He calls her by name. When Jesus calls our name, we know it's him, right? And he comforts her and he tells her, listen, this is great. I'm glad you've seen me. We don't have time. You got to go and tell everyone else because I'm going to go back to my father and I have a lot to teach you. Notice something amazing here about the Bible. The Bible records 
a woman as the first witness to the resurrection. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because in this time that it was written, sadly, women in this culture would not have been seen as credible witnesses. But the Bible here, the Bible honors Mary's experience as an image bearer, worthy of respect, and treats her as the first witness. Why does it do that? Because that's what happened. In other words, not only is the Bible honoring of women in ways that no one else would have been at this point, but also gives us this clue, like the Bible's not telling the story in a slanted or biased way, because if it was, it wouldn't at this time count women as the first witness. Instead, the Bible's just telling the good news. No bias in this recording. Jesus is alive, and he wasn't shy or hidden after his resurrection, and Mary is the first witness and really the first one sent on the Great Commission to go and testify to his resurrection to fearful, doubting disciples. Now, other gospels record that the disciples didn't believe Mary when she told them. And so in verse 19, when we finally get to the disciples, right, these are the guys Right, they're going to take this message to the ends of the earth, right? So certainly they're ready, rearing to go. But when we find them, they're hiding away in a locked room. Now, if you want to make excuses for them, the Bible doesn't, right? The Bible is explicit that they're there because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. Why is it locked? Because they're scared. They're scared of the Jewish leaders who are working in tandem with the Roman government to snuff out this problematic little movement of Jesus followers, probably hiding because they've also been recently accused of stealing Jesus' body, which was not looked upon fondly. And so they're hiding, fearful, doubting, disbelieving, I think, disciples at this point. Now think about that. They've just spent years and years watching Jesus. He told them what was going to happen And they still don't get it, right? They're probably in their minds thinking, like we said before, the question everyone's asking, why are we here? (laughs) Like, what's life all about? We've given our lives to following this guy, and now he's dead. Like, what's even the point of life anymore at this point, besides hiding for the rest of our lives because we associated with Jesus? When verse 19, it says, Jesus came and stood among them. The doors are locked, the Jewish leaders can't get in, but Jesus can get in, right? He's just there. Kids, I don't, I don't think you've ever walked through any walls, but Jesus can. He just walks through these locked doors, he shows up and he stands among them. And you might think that this is the time for a long lecture from Jesus about what he's already taught them and how they should get it. Come on guys, you know better, you can do better. Now we find out in other gospels that Jesus does say, hey, remember I did say this to you. I did tell you this, but is that his main heart towards his fearful, doubting followers? It's his main heart to to show them how wrong they've been and to show them how fearful they've been and show them how foolish they've been. The answer is just a strong no. Maybe you're here today and you're not trusting in Jesus. And maybe you're not trusting in Jesus precisely because what I just said is how you've always experienced Christianity. Do better. Be better. Figure it out. Stop messing up. 
So that the whole thing to you has felt like a set of rules at best or a bunch of hypocritical people at worst because those same people that tell you to do better, you know that there's some areas they don't do so good, right? And so it just feels like, oh, is this is rules? Is this hypocrisy? What is this? Or perhaps you're here today trusting in Jesus, but this is how your relationship with Jesus feels to you. You need to achieve some level of good before you can talk to Jesus. You gotta get it right. Well, when the slain and resurrected Christ comes to them, what are his first words? Verse 19. What does he say? You can read it, right? Peace be with you. He says, hey guys, I'm here. You've been hiding. It's okay. Peace be with you. I'm here. I'm with you. I did what I said I was going to do. Do you want to know what the next words that are recorded here are what he said to them? Look at the beginning of verse 21. What are they? Peace be with you. (laughs) So not once, not once, but twice. Peace be with you. Right? What's in between those words of peace in verse 19 and verse 21? Well, in verse 20, you just feel the the preciousness of this moment, the the compassion of this moment, the kindness of this moment from the, the resurrected, reigning Christ to his doubting, disbelieving disciples. What does he do? He says, peace be with you. He walks over to them. And what does he do? He shows them his hands. It's me. See the scars? He shows them his side, it says. He shows them that he did indeed die and that he is indeed risen. This year, more than any other year, I was just telling Nick this morning, I love that God left the scars on Jesus. I just love the idea of scars, these these things that point to something that happened in the past, but they don't hurt anymore. They're healed now, right? And that's what these scars are saying, right? That yes, I was slain for sin, but my wounds are healed because I have been raised from the dead. That's who I am. Here I am, the risen Christ. Jesus is showing them his hands and his side to give them the basis for the peace that he's offering them. He's saying by showing them you can have peace if you believe in me because I've paid for your sins by my suffering and death. When you saw me die, that was for you. You can have peace now. You can have peace if you believe in me because your worth in this life is not wrapped up or measured by what you accomplish in life before you die, but in what I've already accomplished in my life and death and resurrection on your behalf. You can have peace in me if you believe in me because you don't need to strive anymore. Did you hear what I said on the cross? It's finished. It means for good. You can have peace if you believe in me because my scars prove once for all that your sins are forgiven and my healed wounds prove that death has been conquered. You can have peace if you believe in me Because in my name is life now and forever so that no matter what suffering or circumstances or struggles or persecution come your way, they will not ever in the life of the believer have the final word. You can have peace. Eternal life, peace, and joy is the final word. And Jesus can offer this peace and this comfort now despite their fears and their failures and their doubts because it was never about what they were gonna do. It was always about what he was gonna do. 
Your fears and your failures have not taken you too far to receive the love of Christ. Never about what you were going to do. That's not the gospel. Right? You cannot outsin the grace of his perfect life, his sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection. You can have peace now and forever if you'll just trust him. That's what his scars mean. So I don't know. I don't know what fears or mistakes or burdens you walk into this room with. I, I know I have fears and mistakes and burdens that I'm wrestling every day. I don't know what hard circumstances you find yourself stuck in today. I don't know where in your life you feel like you're locked away in a room hiding, like no one really knows you and you don't really want to let yourself be known by anyone. I don't know where you find yourself confused about who you are or what you're supposed to accomplish or where you might find peace or where you feel like a failure or where you feel disappointed or doubtful. But I know that Jesus can go where no one else can go. I know that Jesus can come into the room with you right now and show you his scars, his death, and his resurrection, and offer you peace and power and purpose. He can save you, give you purpose and peace, and then send you. Look at verses 21 to 23. So what he says, so he establishes peace, shows them his scars, then he says this, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I think what Jesus is doing here is symbolic. The Holy Spirit is gonna come in just a little bit. And suddenly through the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, these hiding fearful, doubting folks become the most bold proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, willing to lay down their lives to make Jesus known to others. What, what, what made that happen? Well, I think seeing Jesus alive and having the Holy Spirit are what made that happen. This, I think, is the best apologetic for the gospel of Jesus today, right? I could talk to you about manuscript reliability. I could talk to you about all sorts of proof for the resurrection. I could talk to you about a million different reasons that I think you don't have to set your mind aside to be a Christian, that it's reasonable and logical. But to me, the most amazing apologetic is that the Bible is not shy about who the first followers are. They're weak. (laughs) They're fearful. They are doubting. They are disbelieving. And somehow, here we are. Somehow, here we are. How did that happen? Can you keep a book club going for three months? <laughs> right? But here, here we are. And these 10, 12 people hiding in a room, disbelieving, doubting. And the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus is alive. And here we are sitting in Lakeville, Minnesota, still talking about his death and resurrection. Not only did the disciples not have to accomplish their own salvation by their own strength or deeds, but the disciples didn't have to accomplish this mission by their own strength or deeds. The Holy Spirit carried them and emboldened them, which is why it has worked, which is why we are here. Because it's true, because he's alive, because the Holy Spirit is working. So if you're here wondering about purpose, if you're here and you feel stuck, if you're here and you know you've been caught in sin and looking for peace in all sorts of other places, Jesus is alive. He paid for sins, he rose to conquer death, So right now, I mean right now, really right now, you can just turn from yourself and from your sin. You say, 
I want you, Jesus. Pay, pay for my sins. Bring me into your family. Give me peace. Give me life now and everlasting. You can do that right now. Receive his peace and find your life purpose in simply knowing him and making this good news of peace known to your friends, neighbors, coworkers, and family by the power of the Holy Spirit. Life purpose gets real easy when you're in Christ. It's not about what you do. It's not about who you are. It's not about where you're at from eight to five, right? It's just about that wherever you are, you're about him. (laughs) He defines who you are, and wherever you are, you're about him. All right, point number two, Jesus is alive to bring peace to doubt. Verses 24 to 28. This poor guy, Thomas, Stone just said it to me in the pew, right? He's often known as Doubting Thomas, which seems really unfair because all the disciples are in the same spot, but he gets, he gets the label. So for some reason, Thomas is not with him the first time that Jesus shows up. And so in verse 24, uh, when he shows up later, all the disciples tell him, Thomas, we met Jesus. Jesus was here. Mary was right. Mary's not crazy. Jesus showed up and he was with us. And Thomas is not buying it, and he says quite forcefully, unless, verse 25, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, listen closely to what he says for later, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Just stop and think for a moment. I'm going to spend a lot of time here. Where is that coming from? That's aggressive. It's it's an aggressive response to his friends. I think it's coming from like pain and hurt, right? And unmet expectations. Like all my eggs were in this basket. It's it's all gone. All my hope is gone. All my joy is gone because it's all wrapped up in him and he's gone. So I'm I'm not going there again. I'm not setting myself up for this kind of disappointment again. I'm not going to believe I have too many doubts. I have too much pain. I have too much disappointment. I've been too let down. I've sinned too much. So maybe you feel like you're there right now. You're just waiting. Well, the story records that Thomas has to wait eight days, which at first doesn't seem long, but then when you begin to think about being locked in a room of people, (laughs) where you're probably the only one who's not into the whole Jesus thing at this point, that's probably a very lonely room for eight days. But Jesus shows up again, though the doors are still locked, comes through the locked door one more time, and what are his first words in verse 26? What are his words? You can read it. Audience participation, good. (laughs) Peace be with you. It's like it's a theme. It's It's like the author wants us to see it and grab onto it, right? So Jesus in his sovereign mercy comes in and the first thing he says is peace be with you. And then notice how personal Jesus is in going after Thomas's doubting, disbelieving heart. Thomas, peace be with you. I know it's been a struggle. I know it's been a long eight days in here with these guys who are believing. So what does he say to him in verse 27? You remember what Thomas said? Jesus says, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. (laughs) The the compassion. right? Jesus, Jesus knows right now in your heart, whoever you are, wherever you are, he knows all your pain points. He knows where it hurts most. 
He knows where you doubt most. He knows your darkest secrets. He knows your deepest struggles. And when he comes, he comes in compassion and says, like, come on, see me. (laughs) I can speak to that area. I can touch that area. Will you just draw near to me right now so I can draw near to you, right? That's what's going on here. In his sovereign mercy, he offers peace again through his scars and speaks directly to the heart of Thomas who's been struggling. And amazingly, Thomas believes. Notice this proclamation, my Lord and my God. I know who you are now. My life is surrendered. Right? Thomas has found peace. Can you just hear the relief in that statement? I will never believe unless I see this. All my hopes have been dashed. Jesus shows up in his mercy and compassion. Just come here. Go ahead. Touch my hands. Touch my side. And you can just hear my Lord. My God, it's you. You are who you said you were. Thomas finds peace in the person of Jesus. And in a moment, you can just feel his whole life now happily given over to following his king because he knows his sins have been forgiven and death has been conquered. This is the moment of freedom and fulfillment for Thomas. And this is how we find freedom and fulfillment. My Lord and my God, my whole life is yours. Your king, I'm not. I want to submit to you. I'm not king. I can't do it. The scars on the resurrected Savior give us peace. If Jesus died and is alive, it settles all questions of life's purpose. Like life gets really simple in a way. It's simply know him, follow him, and make him known. That's your life. That's your whole life purpose. Get up tomorrow, know him. Follow him. Make him known. Get up the next day, know him. Follow him. Make him known. If Jesus died and is alive, all of your deepest, ugliest, darkest, sinful moments are forgiven if you trust him. Do you really believe that? Like that thing you said to your family that was so harsh or ugly, forgiven in Jesus. That link you clicked on this week, forgiven in Jesus if you trust him. The the gossip you participated in, the, the lying, the bitterness, the ugliness, whatever it was, if you trust in Jesus, if he's died and he's now alive, forgiven completely. If Jesus died and is alive, we no longer need to fear and hide, but can follow him and herald his name. It's a freeing, not stifling thing to trust in Jesus. Completely freeing. Freeing to trust his work, not try to accomplish our own work, right? Free to hope in his unshakable resurrection to conquer death rather than try to find some new thing to hope in week after week. Freeing to let him define who you are rather than trying to spend your whole lives on the treadmill trying to figure it out and then reinvent yourself and then figure it out and then reinvent yourself. Freeing to receive his everlasting peace rather than trying to create peace on our own with a big enough bank account, successful enough job, long enough vacations. If Jesus is alive, it changes everything. If Jesus is alive, perhaps today is the day where he enters the locked, hiding, fearful, doubting places of your heart and offers you peace by his scars. Maybe that's today for you. Last point here, Jesus is alive, believe and live at peace. So you might say, and it'd be right to say, right, they got to see him. They got to see him. So, so how, how can I know? 
Because we're those who have not seen but still are called to believe. So listen to verses 29 to 31. Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So how, how, right? How can we not see and believe? How can we get enough of a glimpse to see him and believe? Verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So he's saying, you're just getting a taste here. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John is saying to you this morning, I wrote it down for you. <laughs> I wrote it down for you <laughs> so you can know him. And the, the Holy Spirit's going to come and make all things known to you. I, I wrote it down so that you can see him with eyes of faith. John is pleading with us to get it. He's saying, don't you get it? We were fearful. We were hiding. We were disbelieving. But now we've risked our lives. Most of us have died to tell people about this Jesus because he's true. He's true. Believe in him. I've written this whole book of his life and his miracles and his teaching and his death and his resurrection as an eyewitness account so that you can see him. Like what a miracle that the Bible has been preserved for thousands and thousands of years that you can read it and see Jesus Christ. Listen, any historian who's worth anything, even atheistic ones, even agnostic ones, will admit Jesus really lived. Some guy named Jesus really lived. He really was crucified. He really was laid in a tomb, and somehow that tomb was empty. And so John is here to fill in the details for you and say, I was there. I was there. I met the guy. I was fearful and hiding and doubting, but I saw his perfect life. I saw him die the death I deserved to die. I saw him rise to conquer death. And then after all of our doubts and disbelief, do you know what Jesus did? He walked into our locked room and he offered us peace. I, I just want you to see him, South City's church. I want you to see him, visitors at South City's church. And then when he left... He poured out his spirit on us as witnesses to keep this gospel message alive. And if you're reading this in Lakeville, Minnesota, 2,000 plus years later, it's probably true. Don't you think John would be happy <laughs> that his message of Jesus is still going out? It's obviously happened just like he said. And no matter where you are at today, you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God that came to live the life you couldn't live, die a death for sin for you that you deserve to die, and rose again to conquer death and offer you peace with him and life now and forever. So I'll just close by asking some questions. Where are your deepest scars that bring you unrest and fear? You got them. They might be 20 years old. They just come up every so often when you're by yourself. Maybe they're a few days old. But what are the deepest scars in your heart that bring you unrest and fear. And the question is, will you let his scars bring you rest and peace this morning? Just let him bring you rest and peace. It's, it's like right here. He'll, he'll give it to you, right? He'll come in and just say, peace, peace be with you. Just, just believe. What are the sins that bring you the most guilt? Would you this morning let his scars set you free and full forgiveness, casting them as far as the east is from the west.
Will you just believe that this morning? If you, maybe you've already trusted him. Believe it again, though. I'm that forgiven. Or for the first time, he'll forgive my sins. What circumstance or disease or death is causing you weariness and sadness? Would you let his scars this morning tell you that he's indeed a man of sorrows? He's acquainted with grief. He gets it. But he's also risen from the dead to guarantee that your painful circumstances, diseases and death will never have the final word for those who trust in him, but he's gonna come back and he's gonna wipe away every tear from every eye and make all things new. We're gonna dwell in his presence forever. Where are you searching and floundering for peace? You just can't settle. Like maybe that next promotion of finally, maybe that financial security, maybe a few better friends, maybe some new hobbies, maybe like just the right parenting, right? Just marriage gets a little bit better. Like something's going to bring me that peace I've been searching for. But what if the answer is really finding unshakable peace that can't be undone in his death and resurrection that you're forgiven, you're going to be with him and you're going to figure out the rest along the way by his help. Where are you searching for purpose and power to live. Like, how's that going? Just, oh, just working it up in yourself day by day by day. Live in his resurrection power today by the Holy Spirit, confessing sin, resist, resting in him, and telling others about this good news. This is how the good story keeps getting passed on. By you, isn't that amazing? If you feel fearful and doubting and disbelieving, well, you're the kind of people he picks, apparently. And it's going to be up to you if these south cities are going to know about Jesus. This is how it keeps getting passed on. This is how peace and everlasting life keeps spreading and bringing salvation and hope and healing through his broken, doubting, fearful, but saved at peace and empowered people. So I just want to end by reading 1 Peter 1, 3-9 that speaks to the resurrection hope we have in Jesus. Even though we haven't seen him physically, we can see him with eyes of faith and he's given us peace and life in his name. So let me read this from 1 Peter as we head towards the communion table. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what he says that lines up with what John says. And Jesus said, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me pray. So Lord, that's what I want for myself. That's what I want for this people, Lord, is that you would come through your resurrection, Lord, cause us to be 
born again through the resurrection of the dead, cause us to have a living hope today in the midst of brokenness, Lord, cause us to know that our inheritance is unfading, undefiled, kept in heaven for us, and that these trials are are pressing in to, to help us have a faith that's refined enough to make it to the end. And though we don't see you, Lord, we love you. Though we don't see you now, we believe in you. and We rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory. So Lord, uh, we're going to come and eat and drink with you now. I pray you'd help us lay our fears down at the foot of your cross. Lord, I pray that you'd help us lay our, our doubts down at the foot of your cross, Lord. And as we're, as we're there, Lord, that we look up and see that the cross is empty. <laughs> Jesus is alive, and therefore we have unshakable hope, unshakable joy, unshakable life, unshakable purpose in knowing him, following him, and making him known. So Father, you know every heart in this room. You know those who are trusting you but struggling. You know those who are trusting you in in a good spot filled with joy. You know those who are not trusting you. And Lord, I pray that every heart right now, Lord, would be subject to your word, that they would see through eyes of faith, and that they'd believe. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.